Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome everybody again to the Pierce Point Podcast. We're going to jump in again to uh, this great chapter, Luke 22, which has um, just a whole lot of ideas jammed into one chapter. Whoever it was that decided to throw the numbers into the Bible should have split this one up. Uh, But we're going to begin at verses 39 uh, through 46, dealing with um, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we're going to move on to Jesus being betrayed by Judas. So starting at verse 39, Garden of Gethsemane, what stands out to you, sir? Well, I think this this story is uh, interesting in the fact that we see we see Jesus doing the same things that he's always done, even though he knows now, looks like that he knows for sure that Judas is going to betray him, but he still carries out the same type things he's done. He's going up and it looks like he's staying uh, every night at, on the Mount of Olives, kind of camping out, if you will. I had no idea he was into camping out, but evidently he he is. But uh, this Mount of Olives where he's going up that they they talk about and in the garden. But I I thought it was interesting that the Mount of Olives is is really just a high ridge that's running around the city of Jerusalem, three, four hundred feet higher than the city itself. So he can see the temple, he can see the city, and obviously he enjoyed enjoyed being there at, at night and staying there. Yeah, we see Jesus uh, over and over uh, going out to pray, going out to uh, to call on his heavenly Father. Uh, I love the image of Jesus camping. It just didn't look like camping like we uh, think of camping. He's not roasting marshmallows or telling dumb stories around the fire. Instead, they're spending time praying, and I love that picture. So something something far cooler in his uh, camping than, <laughs> than maybe our version of this. So verse 39, uh, another thing that is really cool right off the bat is that he, he came out and pre- seated as was his custom. So there's a there's a moving towards something always with Jesus. And so here he's preceding uh, or proceeding towards the um, he's proceeding towards prayer. He's proceeding towards the cross because that's his that's his motivation. He's just moving towards this uh, ultimate prophetic end. So verse 39 says, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. So you have this uh, this group of people, you know, following after him. We're gonna we're gonna notice those particular people, but um, they go and they follow after him. And verse forty says, "When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation.'" Uh, what a fascinating statement right there. Um, knowing that someone is going to betray him, mm-hmm. uh, prophetically declaring that that is a reality. The disciples all asking in a, in a previous part of this chapter, asking which one will this be? And then getting into this squabble of who's the best so that they can kind of rule themselves out of it. 
the interesting thing about this, in my view, is that Jesus is not telling them to pray that they don't enter into the temptation, the one who will betray him. That's going to happen. Somebody's going to do this. The idea is that, that the temptation seems to be that they would not be focused on the will of the Father. Uh, the, if they will pray, if they will give their focus and their attention to the Father, then that is the place you need to be when you're overcoming or when you're fighting through temptation. Mm-hmm. We we can learn a lot from this uh, because when we're wrestling with temptations, one of our one of our go-tos or our main go-to that we ought to be practicing is prayer. Mm-hmm. And Jesus kind of sets it out for them. Uh, it's a really obscure statement, but it it's set out that if they will pray, uh, they will pray that they may not enter into temptation. That temptation could have been all kinds of things, including falling asleep, mm-hmm. which we find them doing mm-hmm. uh, here in a little bit. But yeah, he he says he kind of shows them a model of what he's doing. I mean, he obviously he's going uh, to pray as well, so he's getting ready to uh, to go into a situation where Jesus Himself needs the strength from God to to get through this difficult thing. And so, uh, and so, but the disciples, it seems that he's, he's giving them a model of saying, look, you're going to need to pray and that you may not enter into temptation. They had their own ordeal to face here. Uh, I, I don't, I, I believe that Jesus knew exactly what his ordeal was and actually knew what theirs was going to be as well. Yes. But I, but he didn't want them that 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 is an interesting statement. First of all, pray that you may not enter in, into temptation. I think it seems to me saying that pray that you don't give in to temptation. Yes, uh, it seems that way to me. Yeah, it's it's it is. Um, so a couple of things that commentators would say on this. One would be for people to read it as though there were a definite article in front of temptation. So the temptation, and that is referred to. Uh, by by many uh, theories on eschatology that would say Jesus was telling them to pray that they would not enter into the the great temptation, the temptation, maybe the tribulation or something like this. There is no reason for anybody to conclude that that's the case. Number one, because they wouldn't have had a file folder for it. Number two, there's no definite article there. The second thing that we have to see is that they wouldn't enter into a general, uh, the, the view that we're asserting is a, a general temptation. And the the picture that seems to be painted is that Jesus sets the example. Jesus is Jesus is going to wrestle with, we're going to talk about his wrestle with the cup that he has to drink and the cross that he has to bear. It almost seems as though he's telling his disciples, you need to do what I'm doing. You need to pray so that you don't enter into temptation that would lead you to doing an opposite thing of what God would have you do. I'm going to model this for you. You need to pray that you may not enter into that temptation, that you wouldn't fall into the daily encounters, the daily the daily struggles that you're going to face as Christians. I think that that is what uh, makes sense of what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. That's just my mm-hmm. my take on it. It seems too, and it's and and I and I love the the fact that as Luke is 
recounting a story that's been told to him. He, he obviously was not an eyewitness to, to this, but whoever recounted the story to Luke told him some really interesting details that, lo- that Luke always includes. Always includes, it seems like, every detail that, that Jesus, when, when he goes to pray himself, he withdraws, verse 41, about a stone's throw, and that he also noted how he prayed. He knelt down to pray. So I love the fact, first of all, that Luke is so very detail-oriented that he includes these things because we would know from the from uh, from how the Jews prayed that they would that would be very very unusual to see a Jewish rabbi kneel down to, to pray or anything. They would generally stand with stand up straight with their hands outstretched to God, but they would never kneel down. And I think some of the other accounts of this actually says that Jesus may have even been. Uh, on the ground, even yeah. completely down on the ground. Yeah, so this whole kind of prostrating himself before yes. God and 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 putting himself at the lowest place. Absolutely, I think um, when we see him withdraw uh, about a stone's throw, no, there's no there's no special meaning behind a stone's throw. Matthew and Mark's gospels would refer to Jesus doing something like going a little further. That's said over and over. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a way of phrasing that he. He went beyond where his disciples were just a little bit and put himself in this place. Um, uh, again, I love I love the commentary on on him kneeling down, very humble position. And in that humble position, he began to pray. And the beginning of his prayer is fascinating. He says, Father, it's amazing that he teaches his disciples how to pray. And their opening prayer is our Father who art in heaven. So he begins the same way he would teach them to pray, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now that right there constitutes uh, a prayer that really causes us to wonder, what do you mean, you know, if this is if this is your will? I mean, it, aren't you very aware of this? Aren't you fully aware of what is going on? Uh, this is just a point of great conversation. You got oh any thoughts there? Oh my, it, it is. There have been <laughs> so many scholars that have taken this apart uh, word by word and tried to figure out exactly. And I, I, as you read it, you we we have to remember. I think that Jesus, while fully God, was also fully man, and there was there's no lack of of agony because. I believe that he knows exactly what God's will was. He he it it didn't I I think his agony in all of this and what didn't necessarily come from any lack of desire to do the will of God. We know that didn't happen. But it it it, it but because he's as a human, he's going to go to a cross and and die a a, a death that is tortured to death essentially. And, and as a sacrifice for sin. And not only that, Jesus is truly in this picture the only one who really understands what it means that God made him become sin for us. Absolutely. That is agony that no human on earth would ever know. Yeah. And it, with exception of Jesus, who was fully God, but fully man. I, I'm astounded. I... We, I get that. I can mentally ascend, if you will, to that. 
but I cannot imagine the agony no, fully that he's going through. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think when we get to when we get to this situation, the first thing that we have to be able to rule out in our mind is that uh, Jesus would, in some way, first of all, uh, the very the very storyline here proves Jesus does what the Father wants. Jesus never breaks from the Father's will, uh, because you would ask your father, let's just put yourself into a human scenario, uh, put it into our world. Uh, Just because you would ask your father, hey, can we do this a different way after he's already told you what way it's going to happen? uh, Doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're being disobedient uh, at all. It means you're, you're really looking for a different angle but being submissive is a person that says, if there's no other way, then we're going to do it your way. I'm, I'm simply looking at this. Jesus has stated over and over throughout this gospel, and we will see it in other gospels, but Jesus has stated throughout this gospel that he must go to Jerusalem and be crucified. I mean, he, he knows what he is about to face. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew 20, we saw this earlier in Luke's gospel as well, but in Matthew 20, he's talking to James and John. We referred to it in the podcast yesterday. He's referring to James and John, and they say, you know, can we sit at the right hand and the left hand of you in your kingdom? And Jesus is not my place to give, but can you drink from the cup I'm about to drink from? Can you can you undergo the baptism that I'm about to undergo? And they say, sure, we can. And they're, they're clueless because they don't really understand. But in that instance, Jesus is talking about um, the the cup that he's about to drink, which is referring to the cup of the wrath of God. Yes. Okay, so there there's a broken situation there, um, because Jesus is referring to this. It is it is, makes total sense for Jesus to say, "Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me." But if if it is if this is the only way i i don't want my will to be done i want your will to be done jesus seems to exp- be expressing the most natural uh godly tendency which is to surrender to the will of god to say i want to do it your way and no other way now since we since we can kind of rule that out because of the scenario that's played out here jesus is by no means disobedient and just because he asks even if it's that cut and dry, he's asking God to change the plan. Um, it does not. It does not imply any disobedience or doubt or struggle on his part. It's simply a forward-looking knowledge of what is about to come. Now, here is the way I've, I've viewed this for many years, and it really was important to me to kind of put this into some sort of a framework for myself. If the cup is the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus, if the cup that he is he is about to uh, to participate in is the the judgment of the sin that he became, as you referenced before, that we might become the righteousness of God. What we have to keep in our mind is that the Holy One of Israel, the pure spotless Lamb, the God who has never tasted sin. Mm-hmm is now about to become that sin for uh, for our benefit. His, his wanting to get out of that was to get out of, or his wanting to say no to that was, was to say, I have never been tainted by this. I have never. I am about to take on the very thing 
that I despise. So that framework of of Jesus actually uh, saying, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, it seems to be his rejection of now being made sin, Mm -hmm. something he's never known, uh, made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And and we... We, we cannot imagine, there again, I think Jesus is the only one that understands that, that this cup is the full wrath of God. Yes. The, this cup, this, I, I love the symbolism that you pointed out. It, understand, we, we, it helps us understand that this figure of a cup is used in the Old Testament many, many times. It's a powerful picture of the wrath and judgment of God. There, uh, I, in Psalm 75, it says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out, Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. Jesus knows all this. Yes. He knows that that's all, the, all of those prophecies are talking about the cup of God's wrath that he's about to be fully poured upon him yes. and, and, and become sin so that we could become righteousness of God. If we, if we can grasp that in our mind, and I'm telling you it's difficult, but if you can grasp that in your mind, you start to understand, you start to see what, why, why he Jesus would, would be in the situation yeah, that he's in. Absolutely. And so this, this beautiful cry out to his father, uh, simply saying, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And we know that the father is not willing for that to be removed because the Father knows uh, what must be done. He, mm-hmm. he knows what must be done. He's the one who's established the, the principles and the ideas. So he knows what must be done. Verse 43, uh, now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Mm-hmm. So what is absolutely amazing about that line is that in crying out to his father, his father answers him by sending an angel to strengthen him, by by sending him a messenger and and giving him power and strength to keep moving mm-hmm. forward, mm-hmm. to keep pro- to keep proceeding, as we talked about just a second ago, towards the cross. Verse 44 then goes on and says, in being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Uh, that, that passage right there says another line that I like to... Um, I like to draw people's attention to, and that is that it says that uh, being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood. It didn't necessarily say he sweated drops of blood, um, but it said that his sweat became like drops of blood mm-hmm. falling down upon the ground. So there's a weight to these tears. There's a weight to this mm-hmm. agony. There's a weight to this this sweat that he is, uh, he is uh, you know, giving off because of the um, because of the thing that he is mm-hmm. that is awaiting him mm-hmm. the cross it seems that that the father is saying I, I, this 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 cup is will you'll have to take and drink this cup but he strengthens Jesus he sends uh, the, uh, an angel mm-hmm. to strengthen him and I, that's 
that's, this is the second time that we have read about God sending angels to strengthen Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. And after that, they, he was ministered to by angels. It says this, this had to be, I, I, this obviously is the most uh, overwhelming thing from a human standpoint and keeping in mind that while we're, we're dealing with God, he was, Jesus was still a man. And he, that's the most overwhelming thing as a human that he could have dealt with, knowing what he had to do, knowing what he was going to forego uh, physically even. Yes. And then to take on the wrath of God completely. Yeah, no doubt. So, so what we have in this picture right now is Jesus doing what he did. He goes to the Mount of Olives. He goes to pray. He tells his disciples that they ought to pray, uh, that they may not enter into temptation. He withdraws even further from them. He, he kneels down. He prostrates himself. He, he's putting himself in this low position. He cries out to the Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. He, he is always surrendering his will to the Father's will. He also is... Um, he also is very aware of what is coming in this cup. There is a there is a painful reality to what is coming in this cup. God, in that prayer, sends Jesus an answer. Sends Jesus a a comforter, someone to strengthen him, an angel, which is just a beautiful picture. Being in agony, uh, such agony, and praying so fervently, his sweat is becoming heavy. It's falling down to the ground. Now, verse forty-five says that when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples. And I love this line, and it's not something that we read very often, but it says, because we kind of skim over it, it says, and found them sleeping from sorrow. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Now, the, 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 the typical thing is we look at the disciples and we see them sleeping and Jesus is like, can't you stay up for even an hour? You know, this is the hour of prayer. This is a time that even the Jews understood. But there's a reason why they fell asleep. And it says they were sleeping from sorrow. They were burdened by this. The question that we have is what in the world was their sorrow? Hmm. Did, I mean, did they you know what what exactly is happening to these disciples and i believe that we we find the answers to this in a couple of places but if we skip back to verse 31 through 34 um jesus has just told the disciples simon simon behold the satan has demanded permission to sift all you like wheat we talked about this in yesterday's podcast but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when uh, once you have turned again strengthen your brothers and then he goes on and says but he said to them lord with you you know i'm ready to go to prison and he says peter you're going to deny me three times there there's sorrow in the statements jesus has already made for these disciples to hear they're they're thinking somebody among us is going to betray him mm-hmm. Um, Peter's Peter knows I'm going to deny him according to according to his own words. Peter is also thinking, and and I think the other disciples hearing it, they're they're hearing the the devil wants to sift us like wheat. Mm-hmm. 
He's asked for permission, and it's going to happen. So maybe, and this is this is just my conjecture, maybe that line of them sleeping with sorrow was simply that that they that the devil was going to sift them. Now, if that is the case, that is what makes most sense to me as to why Jesus said to them, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." Who is the one? tempting them. It's not God. It would be the devil. So in their sorrow, in their brokenness, they're in the fear of that enemy. Instead of praying, they're so overwhelmed with sorrow that they go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. You you need to be praying with me. You need to be, Mm -hmm. you need to be agonizing with me. Jesus is, Jesus has got sorrow here, guys. I mean, Jesus has got sorrow like we have no idea of. His his sweat is dropping like drips of blood in his sorrow. Meanwhile, the people he's supposed to be leading, the disciples, they're, they've nodded off because of their sorrow. Yeah. So just an interesting parallel as I'm seeing it. It is, and I, I, I think it's very notable that Jesus, when he goes... Uh, uh, he he goes to them and asks them why they're sleeping, and he tells them to get up and pray that you may not enter in, in, into temptation. It, it during this time when he's been in such agony over what's going to ha- going to happen, he himself is more concerned about their situation at this point to say, "Hey, you guys need to pray. You need to pray," and and it, so that would fit along exactly with what you're saying because. Jesus encouraged them to pray for their own sake at this point. Mm. And and he didn't say, hey, you need to help me pray for me. He's saying, get up and pray that you may not enter in, yes. into temptation. And, and now if we if we take that line, that final bookend of not, you know, not entering into temptation with all that we've just discussed and with the backstory of uh, Judas, one is going to betray. We know him to be Judas. They didn't understand that at the time. Peter has been told that he's going to deny Jesus. All of them are going to be sifted. Uh, the devil had asked for permission and been given that permission. And all of this is going to happen. What is what is interesting here is that the temptation that they're not to enter into would seem to be that temptation that is akin to um, what we see in that parable of the soils from from weeks ago, where there are issues of life that come in and try to pull them away from Jesus. And one of the things that's going to come is a great deal of doubt. Jesus, who's supposed to be your king and your Lord, has just been crucified by a bunch of Romans or has just been turned over by the very Jewish people he came to save. There. We have to imagine that a great deal of doubt can enter in at that point in a disciple's journey. And yet Jesus says, you need to pray that you don't enter into temptation. In other words, you need to hunker down and and abide in the Father. You need to come to Him so that you are not overtaken by the lies, the schemes, the plans of the enemy. He's he's looking to destroy you. He's mm-hmm. he wanted to sift you. He he wants to do this. So you need to be looking to the Father. And I and I love the fact that he says in verse 46, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. He doesn't say, hey, you have an excuse. You're overcome with mm-hmm. sorrow. He actually says, sorrow or not, yeah. you need to be praying yes. and you need to be praying so that you will not enter into temptation because this time of sifting, this time of testing mm-hmm. is coming. Yeah. And Jesus knows that these guys are, are going to see 
what seems to be the unraveling of everything he's taught them. It just seems at, at this point they have to, he has to know that they're seeing, as you've said, one of their own betray him. They're getting ready to see that moments here uh, that one of their own is going to betray Jesus. And they, and, and as you've said, they, they, Jesus has told them themselves that Satan is, is wanting to, to wreak havoc on them. And, 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 and this, all of this would be more reason for Jesus to say, get up and pray. Yes. You need to pray. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so verse, verse 47, not verse, but verse 47 <laughs> goes on and it says, while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came. So he's, he's talking to the disciples and telling them to pray that they don't enter into temptation. And a crowd came and the one called Judas, one of the 12, Luke and well, every gospel writer will identify this at some point, but one of the 12, this is stressed over and over, one of the 12. Remember that these, this story comes, this is, a, this is a story recounting the events of what happened in that point. And so Luke is telling his hearers, while Jesus was still speaking, the crowd came. It's almost like in a movie when a narrator comes in and kind of sets the backdrop. Luke has entered in. He's narrating again. He says, while Jesus was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and the one called Judas, remember that one, he was one of the 12. So he just is making this clear to the people that would read his gospel account. Theophilus and anybody else, they would know one of the 12, Judas, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, this right here is a pivotal moment, but especially in this idea that that he's betraying Jesus with a kiss. But I'd love to hear your Mm -hmm. thoughts on this section, and then we'll keep unpacking it. Yeah, I I think that uh, we see with the crowd that came, and we just to kind of uh, point out who's in this crowd that came. You've you've got the religious leaders. Uh, you've got you've got Roman soldiers. Yep. You've got captains of the temple. So they worked for the Sanhedrin. Essentially, they were the they were the ones. They were the they were the officials of the high priest, and they were the one. Uh, so they obviously all of these folks saw this as an operation. First of all, they didn't want to fail. They didn't want anything to go wrong here. They didn't want to create a scene that might break out in a riot. And we've talked about that a couple of weeks back or a week or so back, that their whole idea was, we know that that the that the the chief priests and the and the scribes did not want to get the people riled up because of of how they felt about about Jesus. So they send soldiers, Roman soldiers, temple guards. These are the guys that kept order in in the temple. The and and the, it talks about there were captains of the temple. They were they were the ones that re, they were the ones that actually put Jesus under arrest. Yes. It was the temple the temple officers who put Jesus under arrest. And, and, and then he sees Judas. Judas is in the lead. It seems like it says he was preceding them. So he was walking a little ahead of this crowd of, of temple guards and soldiers and even some, some representatives from the chief priests. And Judas is coming. And, G, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. That had to be... Uh, the, think about the, the, the this was not unusual that a to for a student of a rabbi 
to greet the rabbi, his his honored rabbi with a kiss. So this was not have been an unusual greeting, but it would have been a greeting showing love and honor and respect for that rabbi. And Jesus, he knows exactly that Jesus is betraying him. 100% (laughs) welcome for a greeting. 100% 100% the opposite exactly. for a betrayal. It is not the approach. So so I'm loving I'm loving every bit of the setup. And just for, for you guys listening, uh, if you want to connect all of these dots, the idea of who is in this crowd is not a, a guess, okay? Just just remember this. We're, we're, we're getting all of our information as informed by the text of Scripture itself. So later on in verse 52, right here in chapter 22, verse 52 tells us, that part of that crowd were the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come against mm-hmm. him. So right there we have we have the chief priests, the officers, and the elders. That's an important component to this. And then in John's gospel, it would be John 18, verse 3, and John 18, verse 12, we, we hear that they were given a Roman cohort, a, a, uh, an entourage of soldiers, mm-hmm. to go accomplish this particular task. John 18, 3, would say uh, that Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, came there there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So remember, they came to apprehend somebody that they thought was going to be riotous, somebody that that, that was going to uh, to throw a big fit. So. Uh, just confirming all of those important identifying points by the text of Scripture itself. So we see that everywhere. Um, so the crowd comes, the one who's called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. Now, how far he comes ahead is a really interesting thing. But it, it could be concluded that he came just as far ahead of them so that Jesus could see the torches so he knows that the betrayal is coming. It could have been that he came enough ahead of him that they are so far ahead of them that they weren't visible, but Jesus knew those things. No matter what, the focus here is the question of Judas, are you actually betraying me mm-hmm. with a kiss, right? By means of a kiss is the mm-hmm. literal mm-hmm. rendering of this. And I think you, I think you said it very well. Uh, this, is a, this is a standard greeting, for for a, a a student to a rabbi maybe, but uh, this is not the way you greet somebody that you're going to betray mm-hmm. because you're you're effectively communicating the opposite of your mm-hmm. love and your mm-hmm. affection for them. So interesting, uh, yes. interesting and painful because when you read that, I think we've all experienced it at times, and we've got to be careful. That if we relive these situations where we have been betrayed in our life, uh, we we might relive them and we might keep such a great detail in our mind that what we're really showing is that we we contain a lot of bitterness in our heart. Um, I recently read something from a pastor that was really powerful that said, the um, the more vivid the detail of your memory, the more likely you are holding on to bitterness. Mm. And uh, man, that's a that's a convicting wow. and a hard line mm. because Jesus, even though Judas is betraying him in the moment, Jesus, Jesus simply says, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Um, he just, he treats him just as 
Uh, yeah, he lets him kiss him. He, you yes. know, he lets him greet him, and yet he um, he welcomes him in this. It's just it's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let's keep moving. I, I I like the the very next line, and and uh, it says when those who were with who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, "Lord, shall we strike with the sword?" And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now we know that from from the from uh, from another. I think it's from John, maybe or Matthew, that 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 was Peter. Uh, and we know that 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 the servant of the high priest, the slave of the high priest, I believe his name was uh, Malchus. Uh, so these the these guys were so. At least Peter was was. At the point where he's saying, "Okay, if, if I'm going to fight, now it's time to fight. They're not going to do this," and it just shows that that they surely, even at this point, when Jesus has said, and we talked about this just a few minutes ago, that Jesus has told them in quite vivid detail up to this at this point what's going to ha- going to happen. He's going to be, be he's going to be betrayed and. And given into the in, in, into the hands of the chief priests and the and the scribes and the and and yet they still are not getting any of this. They're still not un, understanding that this is what was supposed to happen. This was this was the plan. This was part of the plan. And uh, uh, they it, it, this was. I, I I look at this and I understand that Peter would have saw this, and that's what made me th- think. Just a few minutes ago, there's he's think he's seeing what he thinks is the unraveling of everything that Jesus has told them. It's starting to come apart. The wheels are falling off. Jesus, shall we strike with the sword? It, it he did not get it, and it's it's sad because that's what's causing him to take up the sword. Yes, and uh, yes, yeah. I think I think if we connect this with that previous instruction to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. We're connecting a, a, a very important lesson for each and every one of us. And that is, if we will be a people who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, if we, if we are praying and we are running to God through our prayers, even in our times of agony and distress, mm. God is going to show us the way forward right? Mm -hmm. He's going to show us the way forward. But if we're not looking to him, what happens is we get in our own heads, okay? One, One temptation or one step would be this agony is overwhelming. I just need to sleep it off and, mm-hmm. and, you know, avoid my responsibilities. That could be one. I'm just, I'm just giving a, a scenario of our sleep. Um, maybe that's what the disciples were doing. But then you have, then you have another step, which is, which is if we're not going to seek God and find out what he wants as our way forward, all of a sudden we're going to take our zeal into our own hands. We're going to be zealous, but we're going to be zealous without knowledge. And we're going to go whacking off people's ears, right? We're going to, we're going to go with, with this rage into the world. And we're going to think we're doing our Lord a favor. We're going to think we're doing Jesus a service, but we're actually getting in the way. Remember when G, when Peter stands before Jesus and he says, he's, Jesus says he has to go to the cross and he says, may it never be Lord, you know, nobody can touch you. And he says, get behind me, Satan, mm-hmm. right? Get behind me. You, you don't know 
what you're doing. You don't, you don't even know what you're, what you're about right now. The, the idea is that if we connect all of these dots together, we can imagine that if Peter and the other disciples had been praying like they should have been, had been listening to God, they would have seen this coming. But instead, what we see in this picture is they really didn't get this story at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't get it. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were caught completely off guard. And so they go, they go, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And then, like you said, uh, it, was, it was Peter who is the one who, who uh, stands up and does this. You can, you can read this, like you said, in John's gospel. So uh, John chapter 18, verse 10, he, he, Peter does, cuts off this man's ear. And, um, and Jesus responds and he says, stop, no more of this. Yeah. Okay, sure, they were to be, he was to be um, named among transgressors. But that was the appearance of transgressors, not actual transgressors. What are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. You know, well, they had succumbed to temptation right now because this was not the Lord's will. Mm-hmm. Stop. No more of this. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? It's amazing to me that we don't see where what you would think would have happened in this this situation, because this was a this was a this was a, a servant of the of the high priest. So he's with the temple guards, and I'm surprised that those guys who were who were known to be policemen, if you will, for the temple itself, and they didn't let any nonsense get out of control within the temple. I, I'm I'm surprised uh, that only by the grace of God and Jesus healing this man's ear did they not step in and say, oh. You want to wield a sword against us? That's yes. not not a good idea. They could have they could have taken the whole bunch out. They had Roman soldiers there. They had the temple guards, the yes. captain of the temple. They had enough firepower and guys there. It says it talks about that there was, and I that the 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 Roman soldiers would have had swords. So and then the temple guards would have probably mostly most likely had clubs or some type of a of a of a of a weapon like that, so they were well prepared to take things in, into physical hands if if needed, but that wasn't what God wanted. And obviously, Jesus said, "Stop, no more of this." Yeah. So uh, so the language here, uh, "stop, no more of this," is an interesting interesting phrase. So in in the Greek, it would be it would be rendered closer to something like "permit as far as this." Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sounds confusing. That's why we don't actually see that literally translated in our Bibles. We hear stop, no more of this. Now, this address is argued among some scholars that would say that this is a an address to the disciples, which would say, you guys, stop, no more of this. But because there's no because there's no direct understanding of who he's talking about, it may be, now think about this with that other rendering, permit as far as this, that's the literal translation. Some scholars actually believe what it is saying is to the to the Roman soldiers or to the pre the high priest and the servant, um, permit only this violence that has been mm. carried out 
but but no more. Just you know, relax. I'm going to take care of this now. That second interpretation seems a little bit far fetched to to understand well. But your point is is important. In if our first rendering, which is the more common biblical rendering or more common interpretive rendering, um, which is that he's talking to his disciples, your point is very important in that. You have to imagine that all of the Roman cohort that's around and all of the other people with their swords and their torches and all this stuff have just gone to high alert. This has escalated to the point of we're about to hit the button. You know, there's a nuclear situation about to go on here. And Jesus, he diffuses this situation. So, so with all of that, you can, we can sit and debate on the, on what those words mean and who Jesus was talking to. But what we see here is that Jesus steps in immediately, right? Jesus steps in and he heals the ear uh, of this, this man. So he touched his ear and he healed him. Now that's going to bring everything to a screeching halt. Yes. Because you're going, wait, what just happened here? I mean, this is, this is really curious. So he heals him, and then Jesus says to the chief priests and officers of the, t- of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with sword and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power, uh, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Now, there's a lot of meaning in that. But what my point in the last, to connect the last piece to this was, regardless of who Jesus is talking to here, Jesus' healing touch in this moment kind of causes everybody to hit the pause button on the escalated problem. And then he challenges them by saying, have you really come out? Mm-hmm. to take me out like I'm a robber. You know I've never I've never been this guy. I've never been this. What what does this show? It actually reveals their heart. Mm-hmm. It reveals who mm-hmm. they belong to. He Jesus steps in and he kind of cleans up the mess that Peter's caused by this Imagine chopping. that. Yeah. Peter. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 I, this this goes back to uh, when he says in in chap in uh, verse uh, fifty three. While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. He it, it goes back to where where he's going up nightly to the Mount of Olives and staying up there. They would have known that too. They were they were watching him at every 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 moment. He didn't change anything. They could have taken him at any point. And 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 he's he didn't try to hide from them. He knew full well what was going to happen. And if he wanted to hide, he could have hidden. But that that was not part of the plan. And I think it's it's also it's also interesting that that for many reasons, which would have circumvented the uh, prophecy, Jesus didn't try to get away. He didn't allow. Peter or any of them to start to fight back and say, "Hey, it, no, we're not going to go down without a fight." He, there, there are many things that didn't happen because Jesus says knew that he had to fulfill what the prophecy said that he willingly did this. He willingly, he's not going to run. He's not going to go up and turn himself in or anything like that. He's going to let it play out the way that the prophets, the prophecies said it was going to turn out. And this, but he does call them out for for. What seems to me uh, to be 
cowardice almost, if you yes. will, because that, we know from from the previous points in the story that they were afraid of the cr- the crowds. That these guys, especially the San the Sanhedrin and those guys, they didn't want to mess with. They didn't want to have a riot on their hands. So it's almost like he's calling out their cowardice and said, hey, you could have done this at any time, and you know that. Very much. I think that that first question when he says, have you come out, uh, or his question, not his statements uh, second, but his question, he says, have you come out with sword and clubs as you would against a robber? Uh, Jesus doesn't, of course, let them answer that it was a rhetorical question. But mm-hmm. you could imagine, uh, you could imagine at least the servant of the high priest and maybe the high priest going, "Didn't you just prove that you're mm-hmm. that you're among these people? Didn't you just prove that you that we needed to come with this kind of firepower?" But Jesus doesn't, of course, ask this question to get an answer. Instead, he goes immediately to where they see him regularly, and here is the issue: just the same issue that we saw with Jesus's question about John the Baptist, when he said, where does John the Baptist come from? They were backed into a corner, the Pharisees were. They knew that if they said John was just a man, people would be upset. Mm -hmm. If they said that John was from God, then they needed to have obeyed John and repented of their uh, of their sin. They they needed to have done that. In this situation, Jesus has done the same kind of idea. He's backed him into a corner and said, why is it that you don't do this when you're in public? Hmm. Why, why is it you don't come against me when everybody's looking? Because you know this is not the will of even the large amount of people. This is your hidden agenda. This is this is your plan. And, and that next line, right, that says, but this hour hmm. and the power of darkness are yours. You're, you're doing this because of who you're collaborating with. You're collaborating with something really bad here, which is the power of darkness. So, so it's just a, it's just an interesting thing that your, your point of their cowardice is so blatantly on display here Mm -hmm. that, that they, they come under the cover of darkness and use a man who is one of, uh, one of Jesus's own. They have to pay him uh, you know, all of this is its just cowardice. They could have done this. They could have seized him if they really believed they had something. They could have seized him at any moment if they yeah. thought him to be a, a you know, a, a thief or a robber or something like this. No, they were just cowards. So. All right. And, and I, I love the fact that this, that, that last line that he says is, but this hour, it, that's literally translated, this is your hour and the power of darkness are yours. Yeah. So, he 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 knows exactly what he's dealing with. He knows that this is the enemy doing exactly what was prophesied that would happen. But but he also knows that that him being the sacrifice for sin cannot happen any other way. He knows this now. Well, that's it for today, guys. And if you would please like and share this podcast with your friends. And finally, remember Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.